What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Matt Goes to the Movies, and we're going to talk about the movie I Am Legend, released in 2007, as we continue to talk about Will Smith movies, uh, ending with Wild Wild West. But, you know, we've we've gone through these movies so far, and we have done you know, a couple that we liked and one that we just reviewed in Hancock that, mm, well, we didn't hate it. Uh, It definitely was a step down. Does, does I am legend, you know, kind of return us to form here of giving these movies a good rating. And, you know, Rob, I'll, I'll start with you. You know, this is a movie that is different from what we have watched with Will Smith in terms of, uh, this movie basically is just Will Smith. Uh, we've talked about how he has good chemistry with on-screen partners, and he doesn't have a lot of uh, in this movie. This this is mostly carried by him. Yeah, and what's interesting is you see that throughout the movie, and and they they cleverly write in opportunities for him to vocalize things. So you know they give him. Um, some mannequins to play off of. He has conversations with his dog and that's interspersed with flashbacks to, um, you know, kind of the events that led up to where we are as we see him today, which is really clever screenwriting and editing so that it isn't just us watching, you know, it's, it's hard to watch. It's hard to write a movie that's compelling. That's a person in solitude. You know, it's amazing that anybody even remembers castaway, right? It's that's Mm -hmm. why Wilson, the volleyball even exists to give Tom Hanks, someone to talk to. Um, But what's funny is when you do see him, you know, mild spoilers um, later on finding a person to talk to, he's, he's almost right back into Will Smith mode that, that charming, charismatic, funny, you know, you just can't help but love watching him on screen. Um, You do see that later, but it's, you're you're right. This was kind of a unique role for him. And, uh, and if you didn't believe at this point of his movie career that he could pull off a serious role, uh, this was it. Yeah. Harrison, where do you, where, where do you stand on this? Was this something that, you know, you were, surprised to say the least or is this kind of follow hancock for you as we get into this movie um this is the one movie that i had seen of these will smith movies that we're watching um and i had mentioned in the past episode some like negative thoughts that i had had from the last viewing however the one thing that i really did love from that last viewing and again this time is will smith like he really is a leading man and has a great performance. And like for a movie to be interesting to have all of that on one character, um, that character has to carry a lot. I mean, like thinking way back to when we did the fast and furious franchise and like those later movies, particularly uh, the fate of the furious, uh, they like tried to put too much of the story on one person. and And it really absolutely failed for me where here, there's only one person to put it on and he handles it really well. And it's, it's actually, it's not just that he handles it well. It's like good enough. It's actually something that I, I genuinely like about this movie. It's, it's a unique characteristic that is something I like about it. Well, we'll, uh, you know, we'll get into that further as we talk about this movie and break it down. And I'll be interested to see if your, your overall thoughts on this have changed, but you know, this, this movie is, it starts off with a very positive message. Um, you find out that they have developed a cure for cancer. 
Uh, who in this day and age wouldn't want that? Uh, but it very quickly turns to three years later, and it is a barren wasteland. And we find out that this cure that they came up with either kills or it turns people into cannibalistic mutants. Uh, they call them dark seekers uh, in this movie. And New York City's done. It's been evacuated. Uh, but Will Smith's character decides that he's going to stay behind. This is, he refers to it many, many times. Uh, Robert Neville is his character is ground zero and he can still fix this. And the, you know, one of the things that just totally works for me is the fact that Will Smith's character, the way he plays it, and this is based off of a novel. He, he's very believable in this movie that he would stay behind. He would still try to, to figure things out. And I like the fact of, I do love the fact of him kind of being a little bit unhinged in certain scenes. Um, but for me, that's where, you know, this movie starts to capture me right away is his character and how he plays this. So Rob, I'll let you go first. Yeah, so honestly, I'm just really happy that we're watching something cheery and uplifting after all the apocalyptic <laughs> stuff uh, that we've been doing with The Last of Us. You know, there's, there's no kids that die in this movie. There's definitely no animals that die. So, you know, that's I was just happy to have something cheery and uplifting. Um, right at the beginning, I love the order and the purpose that Robert has set up around his life. Um, you know, he's... <clears throat> At the beginning of this movie, we're led to believe that he's keeping his sanity by sticking to a work, you know, all these different routines. He's got a workout routine. He's he's got all these things. Everything is in order. Everything has a place and a place for everything. You know, he's he's working out. He's doing a plus he's watching Goodfellas. So I already mm -hmm. like his character from the beginning and and right away. So we think, OK, you know, he's he seems like he's strong of body. You know, Will Smith's all cut up for this movie. So strong of body looks like he's strong of mind. And then you see him talking to the mannequins at the video store and you realize, oh, no, this man's grasp on sanity is is gone. Uh, you know, he's he's driven by purpose at this point and and not much, not much else. There's there's very few things tethering him still to to this world, I guess. Um, and it's kind of an interesting choice to think that, OK, you know, I'm not going to leave the city and try to find other survivors, other medical professionals, other virologists, doctors, anybody who we could work on this problem together. It's it's kind of an arrogant sort of nope, I'm going to do it me. I'm <clears throat> not only am I going to be able to keep myself alive and protect myself, but I'm just going to go ahead and figure this all out and then figure out a way to get it out to the world from there. Um, but it's it's a really cool opening um, that we kind of see this guy. And I love how many things are left up to the imagination, both in this opening scene and just throughout the movie. They, they don't go out of their way to explain it. You have to kind of figure it out a lot of it. And I really like that about this. Yeah, Harrison, where do you stand on some of those thoughts? Um, yeah, that's, that's something else I love as well. The, the first two acts of this movie I, I think are exceptional especially the first act like that three, when it says three years later and we get a New York City that's overgrown the, the, the production design of that is exceptional mm -hmm. it, it I, I just love however they did that and and what it shows us and what it doesn't show us about his routine and what he's doing and 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 even like the slow reveal that he's doing this to find a cure like that we're not immediately shown his basement 
research that he's doing. You know, at, at first it's it just really seems like a guy who's surviving. Like we see more of him kind of like scrounging around trying to loot stuff from what's left before we see the research that he's doing. And so so it's like this weird take on a character where we we at first is an individual who's just trying to survive because the world died and you know now you're trying to survive because that's the way life goes or and, and then that changes to an individual who almost intentionally put themselves in this situation but the thing that i like is because it to me is it adds like because because that arrogance doesn't come across immediately and also at all to like hardly at all to me it it feels like a combination of someone who just genuinely wanted to make a difference and felt responsible for doing a certain level of good and then it just got taken to a degree that they weren't expecting and now they're in a a a crummy situation um i don't know and and it just allows you to like have any of us tried to survive like that before no Mm -hmm. but for some reason there's something about it that i feel like connects us all to the character yeah, I mean, I once didn't have dinner until like seven o'clock, but I've never, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I, I think in we're going to talk about this a little later. We watched both endings of this movie, um, the theatrical ending and then the ending that was released on the DVD version. And one of the things that, you know, I... I really enjoyed about this movie overall is Rob, you talk about the fact that he's got a routine, but you know, this guy's not okay. But also at the same time, there's, there's bits when I I feel really bad for this guy. The, the mannequin scene is one of them when he's like, what are you doing out here, man? Um, I just, I, I feel bad for this character. And then there's other times where, when will, uh, Will Smith's character is out and he's scavenging things when he opens up that door where it says, do not open until Christmas. And he opens that door and sees that it's a baby's room for, for two babies with the cribs in there. He says absolutely zero dialogue in that scene, but his facial expression says everything. And, you know, in that moment you get, uh, you get this character, this guy that, you literally what looks like has the weight of his world on his shoulders that like he failed everybody. Like he didn't just fail his wife and his, his daughter who we find out, you know, uh, died before they could, you know, get out of, you know, New York city. This guy feels like, like all of New York city's deaths are his fault. And I, I thought that was one other thing that he just played up incredibly well was how guilty he felt about this situation. Yeah, it's something that I think makes, like, you got to have a narrative. Like, this isn't just a survival movie, you know? Like, and I think that that's something that makes this feel so unique, is that 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 it's a survival movie that just shows you the difficulty of it. Like, like, like you said, it doesn't do a lot to draw attention to that. And if you're not really paying attention, you could kind of miss that. You're like, oh yeah, it's a room. Like, I, I don't know. There's a lot of it that you, you have to choose to see, so to speak. That's not the best way of saying it. Um, which is something that I like. Like it, it gives me more from this movie than I would, would expect. And uh, it's also just like, how, how can I say this the right way? 
Um, I like movies that make me think, and I like don't mean that in like, a, oh, I only go to Sundance Film Festival and only watch those movies. Like, like it could be literally any movie, but just that when there's circumstances in the movie that make me contemplative and make me think I really like, and this movie does that. Like, what? what I'm not really sure what I'm thinking about, but just like survival and like, are you really the last one? Like, what would I do? I, I don't know. That, that's not really what you were saying, but just kind of... The... I mean, this is coming from the guy whose show has a whole segment trying to find meaning in things like the Transformers movie. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I might just you be definitely insane. don't look just for the highbrow stuff. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, I think there's some really cool um, world building, particularly when he's going through some of these other places. You know, it really feels like these other homes that he's going in, the set decoration and the way that they've laid this out, just the overall production design. These feel like real places that real people lived in right up until everything went crazy and they had to evacuate or they had to decide to stay or they had to try to ride this thing out like you know, you can kind of look at all of these different places he goes and try to guess for yourself what these people's decisions were. Um, and in some cases, they didn't make it at all. You know, and actually, most people didn't make it. Um, so there's there's really a lot of cool details in that. I think at times where, you know, the, that solitude, you can see that that really gets to to Dr. Neville. In fact, you know, things like human beings, we're not really situated to be solitary animals like mm-hmm. we're, we're really programmed like genetically to seek out other people i mean that's that's part of the reason you know when you, uh, it, it's actually evolutionary if you think about it like the kind of person who would choose to live on his own probably didn't survive long enough to be able to pass on his or her dna compared to a person who sought out other people and was able to survive longer and that dna got passed on that's why building societies and networking with people is such a part of our humanity. So we're, we're really programmed for that. And, you know, when you think about in, in prison, when someone gets thrown in solitary confinement, they come out a little loopy, you know, for, it's like one of the worst punishments you can do to somebody in prison. And you can see the effect that that's had on him. But what I will say about this movie is I think a lot of the times where he's showing where he's cracking, where he's breaking, you know, the scene in the video store it, at times it almost feels like it's supposed to be played for a laugh, but it's, it's actually kind of not funny. And it, it the, the scene when he freaks out on the mannequin, like, dude, you set that trap up for that mannequin. Like, you know, that whole scene, it, there's other moments, um, particularly when he first meets um, Anna and Ethan um, where he's, he's really losing it. And most of the time, I feel like those scenes go on too long. They're not entertaining to watch. I, I feel yeah. like we really could have cut down on a lot of that and made this really a more enjoyable movie. Oh, okay. That's all right. Interesting take there. Um, you know, for me, I thought specifically that mannequin scene at first me was like, Oh, I, I promised my friend I would say hello to you. Like I did kind of like at first I was like, Oh, that's funny. But then for me, it's it's just tragic like it turns into i just feel really really like bad for this guy and there's another scene too you know after it's three years later when we get that opening scene where they're on the news which that scene was kind of weird to me that it's just on a news broadcast like it doesn't seem like breaking news like it just seems like kind of generic where she's like so you've effectively cured cancer. And she's like, yeah, 
yeah, we have. It's like, <laughs> it's like, this feels like this would have been more of a big deal. Like this would have been something that was done like in the white house with like press everywhere. Like we found a cure for cancer, not just two people talking about it on the, like on the news broadcast. And then yeah, it would like, be Mardi Gras literally everywhere, all over the place in right. the entire world. So I felt like that was a little, like that was a little weird in terms of the scope of how they announced that. But you know, when they, when they switched to that three years later, I didn't really not feel bad or anything like that, but it's that second shot when he's well, not the second shot in the movie, but there's a second shot where he's driving that vehicle and then it pans out just to show how empty the city is. And that's when that like realization in this movie really hit me is that second long shot of just cars parked all along the sides, um, you know, grass and roots kind of overtaking the city. Uh, that's where it like really hit me how like empty and how alone this guy was. And I think that's what catapulted me into like the next level of my enjoyment for this movie, because I think it's a very rare thing to just have the movie be about one single guy and keep it interesting because, you don't really get, you know, again, you get the interaction with the two other survivors, but even the dark seekers, they're not in this a lot. You don't get a lot with the dark seekers at all. Um, so everything's reliant on Will Smith and just that second shot of how empty this place is again, for me, that's what catapulted this into another level for me of enjoyment and what they were doing. It's almost like 45 minutes. I think before you actually see what the creature or what the villain is going to be in this. Um, and it's the scene where the dog runs off and mm-hmm. he's, he's going to look for his dog. That scene is really, really intense. Again, so we good. haven't seen the bad guys yet. We don't know what they look like. And you barely, and, the first time you see them, you don't really see them. You just exactly <laughs> you, you still don't really know what these infected creatures are, their nature. We don't know what level of threat it is. We just see him being this terrified. But but his only connection to his family, to maybe to reality and to, to his sanity, the, the thin thread of it that he still got is through this dog. Mm-hmm. And this scene is just so creepy. The only way that it's lit is just with the um, the flashlight mounted on the end of his rifle. And oh my God, it is so creepy and tense and dramatic and effective. And I don't want to say all of that buildup gets washed away, but man, I really wish they would have used makeup effects instead of CG. I mean, we go from Mm -hmm. real actual stuff like this is really effective. This has really got me on the edge of my seat. And it's a damn cartoon that comes after him after that. And it really breaks a lot of that suspense for me almost right away. Um, I, I'm not going to comment about the CG for a second, but th- that scene is so good. And, and there's so many moments when you see scenes like this where it's lit from a single light source that you see, like his the flashlight on the end of his rifle. But the DP has another light somewhere so that you can see the actor a little bit, you know, like, like they're, they're, but it's obvious. And, and I feel like one of the reasons that that scene works so much is I genuinely feel like they just lit it with the flashlight from his rifle. Like, yeah. It, it, it is so 
it's like almost beyond my my uh, threshold of like terror and fear that I can handle. As I, I was thinking expressed. about you today. I was like, I wonder how Harrison's doing with this scene. It, it like it. That's you know it. Yeah, I I barely I feel like I barely make it through it, which, which I just feel like is something that that because they don't do it so soon. We just see this guy being so strict about the schedule that he's got to follow, and you know, and and you get the sense that the dark he's got to avoid because of, you know, closing his iron curtains and um, leaving when his watch beeps. Like you get a sense of terror without ever seeing it. Like this guy lives by a schedule for a reason and he doesn't push it. You know, like it's not like his alarm watch goes off and he looks at the sun. He's like, Oh yeah, I've got five more minutes. It's like, no, we got to go right now. Mm -hmm. And so you feel the urgency. And then when you get that scene, it's just, it is so tense and so good. And I don't remember if the video store happens before that. It happens before it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first time um, there, yeah. Yeah, which which I like because it shows like like I'm an extrovert. I really rely on social interaction and 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 Will Smith plays when he's talking to the mannequins the first time. Like when it's really really lighthearted, you know, he's like that's a that's a great sweatshirt you got on. Don't put it down anywhere or whatever. Like, like he plays it with such charisma that it almost feels like someone who's just got a lot of swagger. That's just joking with the dummies or like people the way that someone would normally, you know what? Like, like it, it just feels very normal and you're not really thinking about how they're mannequins. It's, it's almost just feels like something he set up for himself. So he like can continue that characteristic of charisma that he has. But there, there's so much of it that adds up that, that makes that seem tense and, and dreadful more than just that that scene alone. And like I said, I feel like these first two acts of the movie are, are so. I just think they're so good. I, I really do like them. Yeah, Rob, I'll, I I want to jump in on the the CG, and that is for me the well, most. Let's dis- jump on it. <laughs> that that is the most disappointing aspect of this is it, they are very much terrible to look at. Um, they're not. You know, the the scene is creepy, but once you get them on screen, these dark seekers, they lose a lot of their appeal because just their look alone doesn't make them intimidating. Um, if if these would have been practical, you know, let's think about what we just watched in The Last of Us and the practical effects used mm. to create those characters. Yep. Imagine something like that in this movie like looking at those creatures and that does now for me, it does not take away from the overall theme of this movie, but it is, it is distract. It is distracting enough that when I was sitting there thinking about this movie and like how I was going to rate it, um, it did have a larger effect on the rating than I thought it would. It's seam breaking a little bit. It's it's that willing suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. Even if, <clears throat> let's say they did makeup effects and the makeup effects weren't perfect, that still, to me, would have made a creepier villain, a more believable villain. I would have been more bought in with, you know, just generic zombie effects, I guess, mm-hmm. than, you know... What because really, what was the true benefit of doing the dark seekers as CG? You know, you, their mouth unhinges a little bit, you know, the way that a humans can't. Um, I suppose it's easier for them to run barefoot than, than an actor would be. Um, which I don't really, I mean, you can 
you know, they, they, they paint on a lot of stuff. So they could have been wearing mm-hmm. shoes like easily, but you know, there's some, there's some, uh, they jump around a little bit like Spider-Man uh, at times. Um, you can do that with wire work, but even if you don't do that with wire work, there's no real benefit to these guys being able to wall crawl. Like that doesn't make them any creepier. You, you don't need that element of the dark seekers to make them formidable villains and, and antagonists here. Um, so it's, it's to me, it's really distracting. And there's another scene later on, not just to trash the dark seekers alone, but when, uh, when he kind of decides, okay, you know, I'm coming after all of these things, I'm just going to take them out. And he's, uh, he's driving his Ford Explorer and just going to just grand theft auto them, uh, as much as he can and, and make them wet marks on the, on the dock that there's no reason that's that whole scene needed to be done as CG. Like, you could have done all of that as practical effects. Nearly all of that could have been done practically. And again, like I said before, it just removes the tension. It removes the buy-in because you know you're watching something fake. You, you, you just give up that it means anything when it happens. Um, and it's so disappointing because, you know, Harrison, I'm completely with you. The first two acts of this movie are great. And then there's certain things that just really start to fall apart and it never gets right. It never gets back to the greatness of how it started. Um, and, and for me, um, piss poor CG contributes a lot to it. I, I really like struggled in my notes to explain to myself how I felt about this movie and why the beginning feels so much stronger than anything the movie does after that. And, and, Talking with you guys and hearing what you're saying about it, I, I really feel like um, the, the CGI is what does it for me, is what changes it. And it's not necessarily the CGI from like a visual standpoint. And like it's not distracting. It doesn't take me out of it. But I think that subconsciously they just feel less threatening because they feel more toyish. They feel more plasticky. They, they feel like they you just drive them over with your car and they bounce off and, and that they, you know, there's not a thing there that you hit and you feel the impact of, which that sounds horrible to describe. But I, I, I don't know. It just feels like they're more disposable and and easier to handle and less physically demanding of space, if that makes sense. And I think that just subconsciously, as you get more and more of that throughout the movie, the the, the terror that you feel and almost like the level of, I don't know, just urgency. No, urgency is the wrong word. Like the level of uh, fear and, and the stakes. That's the word I'm searching for. The stakes of it just feel lower, even though they're the same. Yeah. They just feel lower suddenly. So, you know, I, I envisioned, and I know this movie came out way before, but I, you know, I, I thought to myself, boy, how would this have been to, you know, Rob, I just said this, but imagine World War Z and those effects inside this movie. Because I thought World yeah. War Z with those kinds of zombies was actually really effective. Um like having that type of enemy in here, but that type, not just that type of enemy, because there's some similarities between the two of these, the Dark Seekers and, and what we see in World War Z in terms of quickness and things like that. Um, but just the overall aesthetic look of them. Um, but it, Rob, if you don't want to jump into this and you have something else to say, the this whole movie to me in the beginning too it hinges on the relationship with Sam. And 
I don't know if you guys know this, but he was so, Will Smith was so attached to this dog during the filming, he actually asked if he could buy it. <laughs> really? And, pur- and purchase the dog from the owner. Nice. Like, wow. that's that's how attached he got to this dog. Um, but yeah, like I part of that, and that's, you know, Rob, you're a dog owner and, you know, you guys know about Dax and everything like that. Um, but a lot of that movie hinges on that relationship, too. And yeah, I, I mean, that was that was hard. Like, that was really, really difficult. So I think another place where it really does start to turn for the worse is to me when he sees Fred, you know, the mannequin that he placed there, like the trap that he gets caught in was a trap he made. It's the same kind of, you know, pulley and and lever system that he used in other places. So it's clearly his, you know, he's the one messing around with the mannequins, right? See, I, I I've always different- thought that it was the dog seeker. I've always thought that. Yes, yes. I interpret that. That's what I was going to say is because that mannequin was in the shop the last time he saw him. And this is one of my problems with the movie is it's not explained how these guys get smart because he's he mentions a line where he says maybe like they came out into the sunlight. But then the one like the main dark seeker who you you can't tell other than he just stands there he doesn't come out of the light and he has the dogs trained to not go past the light. I interpreted the reason he was yelling at Fred is because he didn't realize why that mannequin was out there and that those dark seekers did set a trap. That's how I interpreted that scene. You could, you could be right. Um, It's, but it's weird though. Like, I don't know to me. The, just the whole like him screaming at the mannequin thing. It's just, it's so bizarre. And like, there's no reason for him to do that. Like, I don't know. The, it runs on too long. And then from that point on is when I really think this thing starts to lose steam. Um, it, it's, it's just kind of hard to watch. It's not entertaining. Um, and then, you know, obviously the, the next scene has got some really bad CG with those are, those are not the worst CG dogs I've ever seen that, that, uh, championship belt belongs firmly to resident evil uh, as far as the worst <laughs> CG dogs I've ever seen. Uh, but they're, they're in the conversation. Um, and, and from there, you know, you get that emotional gut punch. All right. So quick story. Um, my son walked in while I was watching this and I was trying to tell him this wasn't like a, a, a movie for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, dad, what's it rated? I'm like, well, it's PG 13. He's like, I've seen PG 13 related rated movies before. And I'm like, okay. So he happened to see that, scene that that we don't really acknowledge the existence of and um he's like so he starts getting kind of upset so i told him to like go to the other room and uh <laughs> i what i ended up telling him was that uh oh no the dog's fine um he actually reached around found a quick serum that it was experimental and he used it and then the dog's okay but ended up running off and all the confusion and he's never seen again. And then he was okay to watch the rest of the movie with me. And, and now that's actually my head cannon too. That's what I go with. <laughs> that's how I remember this movie. So I don't have to think about the, the way it actually happens. And listeners, this is an example of sometimes it's okay to lie to your children. <laughs> Listen, you know, yeah. Um, I just want to jump in here and talk about a few things that that scene where, 
um, Will Smith sees the mannequin, I think is such an exceptionally well acted scene when he's just freaking out. He's like, Frank, don't do this or whatever he says. And he's just losing it. I think it's really well acted and really, really well performed. However, I think his choices are really dumb. And I don't get why this character that we've seen for about 45 minutes now, who's really strict and really kind of done with emotion and is very like living up for survival and on a schedule and very, you know, calculated and strategic in everything that he does, even in the way that he captures the dark seekers, which later we find out this isn't the first one he's captured. He's captured others like Mm -hmm. like he's a very strategic guy. I feel like suddenly we see him make an emotional decision, which I don't know. That that would be crazy. Like if if it really is what I think that the dark seeker put it there, and suddenly this mannequin is just there. Like, how would you react to that? I don't know, but but it does feel very like plot directed instead of character directed. Like it it doesn't feel like a decision that the character would make, and so then he just ends up in this dumb situation where he's hanging from a trap. Uh, I don't know. It, it, I I just don't really love it how that happens and how it like obviously it has to get the rest of the movie going and and you know to be honest I don't really like how the rest of the the movie goes that's where it really loses me and especially because it's done in a way that feels really dumb to me um yeah that, that's what i'll say however that one scene we don't talk about is also exceptionally well acted and but why did why did i gotta do that well see to me and we can talk about this more in depth part of the reason why i based on kind of what i'm hearing and i'm drawing my own conclusions um I don't mind the second half is either one of you. It seems like you have some major issues with it. Um, my major issue is of where the, like where it goes um, from there is it seems very abrupt. Like you get a lot of buildup and then all of a sudden the, the conclusion feels like it just, it, it, it comes and it goes like, boom, you you're introduced to these two new characters there's a short amount of time with them. And then man, like this thing, it, like to me, this thing is over once they're introduced, but also too, one of the reasons why I feel like this is rushed and I, I won't get into this part of it. And, and I always thought when I saw this movie in the beginning, that that trap was set by the dark seekers. And that was one of my problems was like, you don't explain how they became smart, but I also feel like they shot this movie and that alternate, the alternate ending feels like it's a part of that scene. Like it feels yeah. like there was more to describe how these dark seekers, especially in the alternate ending, how they got to the point where they are. And it feels like they did two different movies. Like they, for whatever reason, that alternate ending was the original ending. And there were some more things in there to kind of explain. But to me, this movie it starts off as somewhat of a slow burn, not boring, but a slow burn. And then it's like, oh, we just we got to get done. Like, oh, come on, yeah. like get in the car. We got to go. Like, it, yeah, it feels very moment, abrupt from the moment that they have that really crappy CG, you know, car scene that we were talking about earlier. Uh, you know, the way that he gets out of it feels very deus ex machina. Just I hate it. I hate it. You know, so. And maybe, and possibly, I'm missing something here, like because I, you guys probably are right now that you kind of pointed out to me. I think maybe the trap was set by a dark seeker, but it's not. 
like either could make sense, I guess at this point, it's not really clear. And I, and I feel like it's the movie's responsibility to make that clear. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it feels like that's important. Um, cause it has major consequences to yeah. the story and to the character. So, you know, she shows up and it's like, Oh yeah, we heard your broadcast. We were there today. He's been broadcasting that for years. They just randomly turned the radio on the day that he wasn't going to be there. And then ended up needing saved like that to me just feels so plot convenient because it's not like they're new to the city. They've been there. Like they've, they've been there. Um, they, they clearly have stuff set up at that house that they're in. It's not their house, but they've got stuff set up. So it's just, it feels so convenient and I kind of hate that. I, I, I hate it as well. And I agree with what you were saying, Matt, like I accidentally, not accidentally, I looked at the time of how much runtime the movie had left. It's like a 90 minute movie. And the, uh, like once they show up, you have like less than 30 minutes left mm-hmm. of the whole movie. Like yeah. it goes I- boom, boom. Yeah, it is so quick, and and there are so many important things that happen in that. Like there are other people besides him that were close enough to come to the broadcast that also decided, suddenly randomly decided to show up, and they were surviving on their own some way. Uh, it, we get this idea about like uh, immunity and how some people died and other people didn't. We get this colony of survivors. We like like it just dumps so much on you, and then kills the protagonist, and then ends the movie way too quickly. And the way that it does that just very much feels like, hey, we got like got to get to these points in the story, so we're just gonna like make these things happen. We're gonna make characters make decisions they wouldn't. We're gonna make someone show up in a, you know, pure luck. They're just here at the perfect time, you know, type of thing. We're gonna cut the right wire five milliseconds before the bomb explodes, type of thing. <laughs> it, it just is is which the first part of the movie just doesn't do that, and and so I think that it just. It feels so different than the groove that you were getting in the first half, which is like something that I could I could watch a two hour movie of just that. Like like give me just Will Smith trying to figure out the cure and survive and like loot and be very strategic the whole movie for two hours. And I would love that. I, I really would. Well, it feels like especially to the whole sense of and I thought it was a really good scene where uh shoot what is her character's name anna yes um you know where anna's like oh god had a plan listening and i i love how Mm. neville just snaps back at her and he's like 12 billion people this many people died this many people survived this many people got turned they ate them like everybody you and i know is dead like god doesn't exist i love it like, I, I love that scene. I think that scene is really good. And I've never been in this situation, so I don't know if my thoughts would turn that quickly. L- like, literally eight minutes later, he's like, I'm listening to God. Like, out of, yeah. out of nowhere. And because of the dumb butterfly. Glass, first off, plexiglass is not that strong. Second, it doesn't break that way. And, and like, you know, you could you could say that, that one argument is that, like, oh, the same way that he saw Anna and Ethan as, like, his daughter and wife for a split second, you know, the same thing that for a split second he just sees a butterfly in the glass and it's just the film 
drawing attention to that. But later in the alternate ending, when Anna goes to open the door, there's still the butterfly on the door as like it's very much real that way. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so believe what you will. But I, but the whole thing just feels very like super forced and 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 so different than the total vibe of the whole movie b- before. So he wakes up even before that. He wakes up at the at the house they're staying at. He kind of goes down the stairs. He's like in sneak mode and he kind of does like a a roll over to um uh this one dresser and he pulls the drawer the middle drawer open and pulls a gun out as though he knew it was there the whole time. Like that to me I was like okay, what the hell's going on? Um later on well, Isn't that his house? house? Yeah. No, it, no, yeah, it was at their house. I thought that was his house. Yeah, because he tells him where to take him. Because he flips out that he was saving bacon. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, again, again, that wasn't clear to me. So, but there's things about this. I could see the whole time I thought that was they, that they'd gone back to their house. Um, that part I missed. Um, okay. But yeah. So later on, though, and I guess that's just where I'm like confused with certain things on this. <laughs> um, he's he's reciting the Shrek movie. And it really that like that just goes on too. like he's good at it. And you can see again, this is where I was saying earlier, some of his mental moments where he's cracking um, just they go on for too long. That scene drags on too long. And I kind of thought that whole God's plan scene. I, I actually didn't like that scene at all. I thought it I thought it was too long. I thought it was I don't know. I. I, I didn't understand like so, the, some of the dialogue choices I didn't really like, and it just seemed like he went from zero to a hundred out of nowhere. Um, just in general, I just, and I, I'm struggling to put my finger on exactly what else about it was ineffective for me, but I just, I didn't enjoy it. I, I felt like there was other ways they could have gotten to it. And you're right. Cause immediately he kind of flips later on. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it feel, it doesn't feel earned. The, the whole, that, that whole thing, from when they show up just feels very, very different and not uh, if you're going to do those things, draw it out longer so that it works. Like don't draw out the scene longer, draw out the theme or draw out the message or draw out this story beat longer. Like, you know, I, I'm very religious, so I got nothing wrong with like God's plan or anything wrong with that. Like, it, it's not that part of it. It's that it just shows up out of nowhere. Like, this has nothing to do with anything the first part of this movie had to do with. You're just like dropping this new idea that that is a huge part of how the movie ends, and like is supposed to be this maybe big thematic part of the movie. And you 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 brought it in three fourths of the way through the movie. Do you know what this ending kind of like? How abruptly it not only does it end, but it shifts tones and it's almost like, Oh, we need something like we need some kind of action sequence, so to speak, to end this, uh, to end this movie. It really reminds me of the Wolverine where at the end, I thought the Wolverine was, I thought the Wolverine was fantastic until the last 20 minutes up until the last 20 minutes. And it betrays the tone of what the movie is. And it's like, well, how do we just end this? Oh, I know. Let's have him fight a giant adamantium samurai. Gotta ha- gotta have a big action scene. And like even yeah. everything leading up before that, like when he's getting shot with those those arrow uh, ropes, that stuff's really cool. But that that big ending fight scene against the silver samurai, 
Uh, these two movies remind me a lot of each other in terms of that kind of ending. I really feel so we get to the end of the movie and he, you know, he's going to send the the two of them through the the shoot and he's going to, you know, he's got the grenade. What occurs to me and why I think a large part and there's in the, you know, the theatrical ending, we'll call yep. it the part of this. It, it feels unnecessary to me. And, I'll, and I've got two major reasons why I, I don't like the theatrical ending. I actually don't like the alternate ending either, but I nope. don't like the theatrical ending. His, the death feels unnecessary. So we're talking about a guy who has Kevin McAllister level planning and traps and just forward thinking. And he's got all of this stuff figured out. You know, he's, he's, he's engineered all of these things. He's, and all he has in his kind of his panic room, his Alamo is a grenade. That's the only ordinance he has. Well, why couldn't he, even with only having the grenade, why couldn't he have just like thrown the grenade and closed no, the, the force would have, yeah, the force would have demolished all that. And he still would, he would have been turned into ribbons from the glass. Like, but, but why couldn't he, the thing is there's no firearms down there. Like, right. But why weird. couldn't he be in the door though with them? Cause she says there's room in here. There's like room, like why could he not kind of have that door so halfway dumb. closed and throw the grenade and close the door so that they're all safe? Like there's definitely right. enough room for Jack on that door in the Titanic. Right. The thing is room for Neville here. <laughs> if, if you're going to have this guy who literally has just like explosions, like Michael Bay level explosions outside his house, if these dark seekers ever show up, which is sweet. I love how many fail safes this guy has. Cool thing to add into the character. Until um, you get to the basement. And then right, he's got nothing. And, and to, like, why doesn't he have something where like this giant iron thing comes down in front of the plexiglass and he switches a button and it blows up that side of the room? I don't know. Like, and it seems like it, UV light works on certain ways. He doesn't have anything mm-hmm. to do that. It, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Turn on UV lights. Down no there, guns down there. Well, just one grenade. That's all you got is one it, grenade. And here's the thing: you you can tell because we're talking about the alternate ending versus the the theatrical the ending. Kind of. Um, the alternate ending matches the events previously in the movie better than the theatrical ending. I don't think either one does it really well but but to me the alternating matches what comes before a little bit better like them being intelligent and setting up the trap but they did the theatrical ending and this is what i've read because they wanted to leave it open for a sequel if you want to you leave your movie open for a sequel don't kill will smith he is this movie like i'm not gonna go see an i'm legend sequel without will smith so so if you want to set up a sequel why would you kill him it, it just it's like a double dumb so here's the second part of why I dislike this ending is that it actually doesn't make sense. So what's this, what is Robert Neville's entire reason for existing at this point is to try to find a cure, right? Mm-hmm. So he finds something that finally works. He sucks some blood out, hands it off to somebody and hopes to God that there's enough information contained in the blood that somebody will be able to just figure out what he put in it. It's, you know, that's a big risk the, he's handing that off and hoping that somebody who is not him and therefore never performed his experiments, doesn't know all the steps that he took to create this. There's no guarantee that somebody else would be able to reverse engineer that just from a vial of blood. And there's no guarantee that there's even medical staff left anywhere in the world who can understand this. There's like, there's a phlebotomist out there that's going to be able to figure this out. There's a virologist out there that's going to figure it out. He's the authority. He's the expert. So it almost like him 
sacrificing himself when he doesn't need to really betrays what he was trying to do all along. Because if this was so important to him, he should make sure because he's the most qualified to explain it and try to like reproduce it when he get, they get out of that. So I, I, for the sake of what he's trying to do, it makes sense that he should try to survive. And that's the second major problem I have with the theatrical ending. Well, here's my thing too. And let's talk about the alternate ending, the, the alternate ending, you know, he, he recognizes the butter, the, the butterfly shape breaking through the glass, which and I think this is ridiculous as well. It's a reference to the butterfly shaped tattoo on the female that he's been experimenting on. He gives the body over to the male and watches him like break down. And that's why I feel like the alternate ending is, was originally shot to be part of what we saw in the theatrical version, because it shows a level of intelligence in the one dark seeker, but also too, in that alternate ending, you know, there's the scene where he looks over at pictures of like all of his experiments and like, oh, he feels guilt because he's become a monster in the eyes of the dark seekers. Like, all right, give me a break. But to me, the alternate ending where he's like, oh, my God, I'm a monster. Um, And he's like showing remorse for the experiments that he's taken. It almost seems like that part should be the why he sacrifices himself and he's like i'm too far gone to be a part of this new world if you find survivors and you guys cure this and then he sacrifices himself for them to be able to get away like i feel like these endings are like mismatched for some reason like like part of one ending goes with the alternate and part of the alternate goes with the theatrical and it it just seems like there's a bunch of it's like swiss cheese there's a bunch of holes for some reason because it's almost like they lost footage and went, oh, crap, this is all we have left. Like, so we have to splice this together. It, it It's so dumb as well, because I, I like a younger version of me that watched the alternate ending thought that he was giving back that one dark seeker as as a way to initiate the process of curing. And now I realize that he just gives it back out of like like social reasons. Like he sees right. a social development in the people and he feels remorse. And so he, I, I said, and, and why this guy should not feel remorse. These no, men, according to him, they ate and killed people. Everyone we know and love is dead. He said that eight minutes ago. And now he's feeling remorse that he was trying to save the world and people from that. Like, okay, maybe if you're seeing some social things happening and you can really see like genuine, real social things that you might now you're a little bit more gray but you're not you should not feel remorse about trying to help us remain human and not become zombies there's you know there's not an either ending that's like yeah this one's solid and this Mm -hmm. one's not like you said matt they're both just like there's both just switch cheese yeah they're not they're not human anymore they're this other thing and these other things have been attacking and killing humans and then all of a sudden because one caught feelings for the other we're supposed to now think that robert's the bad guy because he's been experimenting on a way to stop them from killing everybody who has ever lived ever yeah it it just it does not make sense um and and if they are intelligent if they are developing intelligence which is what the alternate ending is going for why don't they accept a cure 
I don't know. And if they're, they're intelligent enough to set up a trap, if you want to go back to the theatrical ending, when he says, I have a cure, how come the dude keeps, keeps going kamikaze mode on the plexiglass? Like, whatever. You know, I was intelligent enough to set a trap for you, but I'm not to listen to what you have to say. I don't, it, it, it's just contradictory no matter how you look at it. They, they intelligent were, enough to use a writing system like a butterfly to describe what he was trying to communicate. Yeah, they were also intelligent enough to follow them home when there was still some daylight, but stay out of the daylight to see where they were going still. Like, how and did then you, come back later. Right, like, how did you do that? Like, and... He, and have the intelligence to rip a hole in this roof to then have a plan for people to climb up and come through the hole later. I, yeah, it, it it really is that again that that third act and I don't even know I can't even call like I don't even know if I call it a third act because it's so quick. Um, it, it is a very different feel for this movie. Again, it it just it feels like something got lost along the way and they had to go back and reshoot or something. I don't know. It just, it feels very out of place how this movie ends. And even the ending, like the true ending of the movie where they find the camp, like that would have been way more effective or I don't know, even semi-effective if those two characters would have maybe been with him at least through 35, five minutes, 40 minutes of the movie, but like, we're supposed to care about, and I get it. It's people. You want people to survive, but we're supposed to care about this girl and this kid who number one has zero lines. Like he just stands there like a freaking mute. Like, I, <laughs> like we're supposed to feel something for him. And I get it. It's a kid. Like you, like you don't want to see that kid get eaten by these guys or anything like that. But we're supposed to be happy that these two made it like that's something that happens. You don't feel anything. No, that's something that happens when they've spent time with him. Yeah. I, I wish like, like what to me, make a movie where they don't show up and he just keeps going on his own. And uh, so does Sam, him and Sam, they keep doing their thing and mm -hmm. give me more of that and, and give me more of their tense survival without, making dumb rehashes of everything or get him to show up and get them to take his work incomplete and find a way like like the the third act of the movie is for them to take his incomplete work to the colony to be able to continue it there i i think giving us a cure as like the third act miracle when is is too quick um in also having them go to the colony, like either give us a cure and have them like, that's where the movie ends or not the cure and go to the colony. That that's what I would say. But you know, I'm not in Hollywood writing scripts. So maybe what I have to say means nothing. Yeah. Rob, any, any other notes that you have about this that you want to discuss? uh no let's grab some popcorn all right so nice transition we're gonna yeah <laughs> we're gonna move into popcorn time here and we are going to give our ratings so i'm actually very interested harrison if this I i'm gonna let you go first way way back when when you talked about this on the basement binge what would your rating have been on the popcorn time scale based on your review 
forever ago. Um, man, trying to remember, it probably would have been pretty low, like a one and one and a half, maybe just a one. Okay, like it was really frustrating. Um, yeah, I won't get into it. Go listen to the episode. I, I just yeah. the whole movie frustrated me. So. Has it changed at all, though? Ha- like, do you look at this movie a little bit more favorably? Yes. Yeah, it has changed. It has improved. And that really goes down to the first part of the movie. I would say, like, the first half, the first two acts that really work well, as we talked about and, and we praised them. Like, that, similar to what we talked about in Hancock, that really works for me until it starts to stop working. All right. So where do you rate this? How many buckets? Uh, I was hoping I wouldn't have to go first so I could kind of judge myself. <laughs> That's what I do every time. But I'm just going to go with, um, yeah, I'm going to go with three. Just the same thing that I gave Hancock, almost like the same exact reasons. The The movie starts strong and has some good aspects to it. Uh, it just kind of stumbles and loses itself and loses its grip in that third act and conclusion. And uh, while it's, Christopher Nolan said this really good, that, that movie endings are really important because they can retroactively make a movie bad or good. And I'm trying to not let this ruin the first part of the movie that like I if it was just that first part of the movie, we're like five buckets. I like I like it that much. So I'm trying to not let this failure of an ending ruin the part that I like. And so with that effort to try and make my brain get in line with that idea, I'm going to say three buckets. Okay, Rob, I'll let you cap off the review, so I'll go next. Uh, I give this a three and a half. I give this a half bucket more than Hancock, and it's because the what's good about this movie is better than what I liked about Hancock, um, specifically Will Smith's performance. I think, not that he was bad, but the parts with him in the beginning, to me, are so well done that this is a half bucket more than what I rated Hancock. So I give this three and a half. Yeah, we're, we're kind of in range for very similar reasons. Again, the the parts of this movie that were, God, they're so good. There's so much promise there um, that gets kind of, I'll just say betrayed by by what how it ends. Um, I also like this movie better than Hancock, and I also will be giving this three and a half buckets. Um, I like it more than Hancock, but I don't like it enough to go to four. Um, this could have been a five bucket movie. Yeah, this yep. it it starts it starts off looking like a five bucket movie. You just you're I, I was sitting there going, man, this is way better than I like. And I, yeah. I I was like, this is way better than I remember it. Like, I remember being like, yeah, I like the movie, but I was like, wow, like, I don't remember liking this movie this much. Like, yeah, like, holy cow, because um, yeah, we've had times where we've changed our opinion Mm -hmm. on a rewatch of something and in my head i'm going because i kind of remember this movie being meh yeah i'm like okay am i misremembering something and then it gets to going and it gets going i'm like yeah this is really good i i'm completely doing a 180 on this and then it falls apart and i go nope that's why i don't Mm -hmm. particularly love this movie I that I had the exact same experience, but I I realized I misspoke. I got to fix my popcorn rating. I was thinking that I gave Hancock three buckets. I gave it two. You guys gave it three. So I'm going to change my rating to two and a half because I in my head I was Ooh. like, what I was trying to do the math. And I was like, I gave Hancock three because I wanted to give this a half bucket more. And I was like, I can't give this a three and a half. How did I give Hancock three? But <laughs> I gave it a two. So I misremembered two and a half. So I am going to point out, and we do not tell each other our ratings until we 
we say right here. Uh, we have rated Men in Black. We have rated Independence Day, Hancock, and I Am Legend in terms of how Rob and I have rated them compared to Harrison. The oh, same, aren't they? the same every time. Rob, we have had the exact same score <laughs> for every movie, and Harrison has had like literally pretty much one score lower than us. So we gave Independence Day a five. He gave it a four. Like the same thing with with Hancock. We both gave it a three. He gave it a two. We both gave this a three and a half. He gave this a two and a half. So, uh, so whatever it is, Wild Wild West, no buckets. Is he right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you, you can't go watch a movie without popcorn. <laughs> but yeah, that will be uh wild, wild West has been, you know, the entire time when we when we talked about doing this, that was the one where I was like, this is the most interested I am to just see what we will do. I've never seen it. And I'm so, like, I don't even know what to expect. And so it's going to be fun. Listeners, get your popcorn ready because we are going to trash it. Yeah, I'm OK. You know what, though? This might be. The the last night of Will Smith movies for Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> this, this could be it. This, this. You know, what? I'm going to go in with that expectation that that's what it's going to become. Um, but yeah, so funny how, you know, we have started off with two movies that we very, very highly regarded and then two Will Smith movies that were like, yeah, you you see you see the brilliance in part of it and then it it just it can't stick the landing uh with these with these last two movies. The the thing that I've seen though from this watching these movies again I'd only seen I'm Legend before is it like Will Smith really is a good leading man and and a good uh co-star to have charisma with. Like in these different situations he he has been some of the best parts of the the movie even as the movie kind of failed yeah i mean look at him in suicide well suicide squad his performance of deadshot i thought was probably the best thing about that movie yeah i agree so i i like that better than a lot of other people do i won't defend it but i do like it more than other people do and i you know, I think he was fantastic in it, and it's a shame that that movie was not well regarded, and that the DCEU was literally about to crumble around it around that time. Because I really wanted to see what was going to happen with both his character and Margot Robbie's uh, Harley Quinn, because I thought, wow, there's something there with with these two characters, these two actors. I'd love to see what they do with it, and then it just was not meant to be. Yeah, um, yeah, there. Uh- Maybe maybe one day we'll do Suicide Squad. Talk about right. that. Can I have a negative bucket in anticipation of that? Oh. Yes, you can. You, <laughs> you absolutely can. Strangely enough, that actually was supposed to be the uh, uh, introduction of the Parademons was in Suicide Squad, but we got and they the, turned them into putties. Yeah, we got the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers putties instead. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, who knows what that would have been and how things would have turned out if maybe they would have just let people do what they wanted to do. Um, Cause we certainly saw what that did with, with justice league 
and release the air cut. Yep. I, yeah, I would love to see that, but, uh, that will do it for our review of I am legend, but Harrison, you have got, uh, animation hall of fame coming up and are you, do you have the list of what's going first yet? Uh, yes. So Puss and Boots was just released and is the official start of it. So Puss and Boots, the last wish. And then I was working on the other episode today, uh, with the Mitchells versus the machines, uh, an animated movie that I really, really love. It's kind of starting with some like quirky animated movies that did something unique visually, uh, which is fun to talk about. So yeah, going from there and then, uh, if I can sort out the schedule with you guys, some Pixar classics coming up and some other good things. So, yeah, exciting things reviewing animated movies over at the Basement Binge. So, yeah. also something that I'm getting increasingly excited about that it's not for like a month, but is Creed. Uh, in Ooh. anticipation of Creed 3 coming out, I'm going to be binging those other two, and I'm very excited. Yeah, those first two Creed movies, I I, I love. Um I will be interested to see that, though, uh, in the different direction that Creed 3 is going to take, just being focused completely on Michael B. Jordan, because um, I thought that was part of the the charm of the first two Creed movies was that relationship. So I'll be yeah. interested to see. But the trailer, for all intents and purposes, to me, indicates that that's going to be a hit. Um, but Rob. You know, we still got a lot coming here. Uh, catch the listeners up on what's coming at Matt Goes to the Movies and how they can stay updated. Yeah. So, uh, of course, we still have our Will Smith marathon to finish up with uh, not the entire filmography of him, but just what we selected <laughs> to do. Uh, you're going to be able to listen to uh, our reviews of Wild Wild West coming out later this week. And then, then on Sunday, we will be able to wash that movie out of our mouths with uh, some more of The Last of Us. It is, I'm certain if you're hearing these words right now that you have also heard of that uh, that show because it is everywhere. Everybody is talking about it. You can't get away from it and you shouldn't try to get away from it. You should, you should run towards it and embrace it because it's going to be the, the show that you're so glad that you started uh, watch it with friends, watch it with the family, um, and uh, make sure you check out our recaps of it that will be available. Uh, we record them uh, Sunday night so that they are available Monday morning for you to listen to on your way to school or work or whatever it is that you have going on on a Monday. And uh, yeah, we're, we're so excited about it. The second episode was another just absolute banger. And uh, it doesn't look like this thing's going to slow down anytime soon. Um, so please uh, check those episodes out. Check that show out. You will thank us if you are not already watching it. Uh, don't wait till the season's over and then just binge the whole thing. Uh, watch it as it goes because that's the way it's in, that this show is intended to be done that way. Even though we are anxiously <laughs> waiting Sunday night at nine o'clock to get here. Rob, you're going to ruin my budget. I have not signed up to HBO Max anticipating signing up for it later and you might just might just ruin the budget this month to get um, HBO <laughs> i mean you'll thank me for it you really will <laughs> yeah okay. and i have heard that episode three is the best one so far so if episode one and two spoiler alert no. were a five for both rob and i and now they're saying that episode three is better than the first two um i, I might have to change the rating scale for an honorary one-time review because <laughs> um yeah. i just i i'm gonna be completely confused if episode three is better than one and two 
yeah, be there live for it. You want to, you want to be, you want to be with this as it goes. Um, because, you know, like, like we would talked about with other series, you know, the anticipation of having to wait a week for what's going to be next and the reward of having what you waited all mm-hmm. week for to finally be there, be able to sit down and enjoy it and have it be worth it. Like that anticipation, that waiting and it, and it hits and it's effective and it's good. And you're like, Oh my God, I'm so glad. And now I can't believe I have to wait another week. Um, this is, this is one of those shows. So, uh, definitely I cannot recommend this highly enough. Yeah. So one other note before we sign off here is, uh, listeners, if you are available tomorrow, join us. We have put the links up on social media, but we are going to be doing a live watch party of the two dead space animated movies, uh, dead space downfall and dead space aftermath in anticipation of our live Twitch stream of the dead space remake coming out. Uh, on the 27th and on top of that we are going to be if you if you want to join me on this journey uh on the 26th i will be live streaming wild wild west so if you want to (laughs) join and watch the live stream for that by all means uh click our social media pages on twitter facebook instagram uh the link will be there for the live watch party and and join us um i don't want to say it's going to be fun but i plan on having fun with it so (laughs) hey well dead space remake I'm having. I don't have a recent console. I don't really game, but just more proof to for me to definitely avoid that with every living part of my body. I read an article yesterday where the technical developer is too afraid to play the game because of the technological investments in video and audio mm-hmm. that makes it even more terrifying. So, whoever you are that is going to be streaming that, you have my applause because you are brave. And, and the good news, it looks like it's streaming on a lot of free services. So if you want to check out Dead Space Downfall, it is available on pretty much every free uh, yep. streaming service you can think of. Yeah, and I did make one error. I apologize. It's Friday that we are streaming the Dead Space remake, not Thursday, because uh, we'll be recording Wild Wild West on Thursday. So, Wow, so exciting we're, things. We're recording or we'll be giving each other therapy from having to have watched that together. Yes, 100%. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll see which one which one happens, but thank you very much listeners for joining us for our review of I Am Legend and we will see you very soon at Matt goes to the movies. <laughs>